Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually is, well, here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye. Hey everybody. It's Michelle and I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication, and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis, to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can begin, then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to Chasing the Swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson. 
MSCCCSLPCLC, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Culver Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant, who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Okay, everybody. We are back, and I swear I'm going to quit saying, okay, everybody, we're back, but it's just, we're, we're back. We're back, and we're excited, and I am humbled by today's guest. She is a very petite powerhouse <laughs> and a beacon of joy, and honestly, okay, so her name is Carrie Rigberg, and Carrie, thanks so much for coming on. The first time I saw you in person, you reminded me so much of, honestly, the first time I met my stepmom, and you are 20 years younger than her, but my stepmom is four foot 11 and three quarters. And the first time I met her, she radiated joy and light and positivity. And I had never seen somebody with that level of education and that level of passion just be, she was just a presence. It was just like, all of a sudden they were there and you were just like, wow, who is this amazing woman? And it was so impactful on my young mind. And I know her and I had messaged through social media and exchanged emails and a couple phone calls. But like when I saw her in person, it was just bam. And I was just like, God, she's phenomenal. And so huzzah, here is Carrie. She was gracious enough to come on and Y'all, she's one of those women that gets the world of PFD and how intimately it is interconnected with the world of AAC. And she does both well. But the best part is she also understands that as practitioners, as clinicians, as humans, we also have to take care of ourselves. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to talk about yoga and being mindful and how that carries over into our practice. Coming from the ADD, ADHD, neurodiverse member in the room, yo, I love it when I'm 
in the rhythm for yoga and spiritual mindfulness. And then you can, everybody in the universe knows when I fall out. <laughs> so hi. That's right. We're, we're here to catch each other. <laughs> yes. But did, okay. Did I say your last name right? Or did my accent best me? Absolutely. Carrie Rigberg. Yes. Okay. Good, because that's the part I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't do a, I don't do our tick. <laughs> so like, this is- <laughs> I know we we joked when I took the name Rigberg, my married name, that kids would graduate from therapy with me when they could say my name instead of Kelly Wigberg. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, I was Michelle Schwartz, and let me tell you, that was very difficult for people to say. <laughs> I was Mrs. Wart. <laughs> I was like, oh, not me, but him. <laughs> that was a lifetime ago. Moving on. <laughs> but, um, anywho. Okay. So Carrie, tell us about you, yourself, and your fabulous practice. Where did you go to school? Where do you reside? How did you want to become a speech pathologist? Well, I live here in Tampa, Florida. I went to your University of Florida for undergraduate. and. USF for graduate school. I I finished my clinical externships and finished my master's degree here at the University of South Florida. My clinical focus has always been in pediatrics, first as a CF and then in the outpatient nonprofit world at United Cerebral Palsy of Tampa, and then for Mm. 10 years at Tampa General Hospital. And now I have, in May 2017, I started my own small practice here in Tampa, where I see a lot of our NICU graduates. I see a lot of infants and toddlers in the community that are referred to me often by physicians that I've worked with in the past, our occupational therapy and physical therapy colleagues, even other speech therapists sometimes will reach out to problem solve on a specific case, maybe do short-term intervention with that client or uh, help out at the client's school with transitioning some of their plan of care uh, to the school team. So I started out May 2017. I, I met you shortly after that, that summer at Flasha. That was a great party, by the way. Flash had host one heck of a shindig, just saying. <laughs> Even growing up in Florida and going to school in Florida, that was my first year at Flasha. And what? Yes, it was. I, I was kind of shaking in my boots at the time because I had left, you know, the safety and security of my wonderful team at the hospital to try to do this work, you know, extend the work out into the community into little preschools, into our pediatric prescribed extended care centers. Do you have those? No. Are you talking about a PPAC? A PPAC. Yes. Yes. We don't have them in South Carolina. Why? I don't know. But my very sweet friend, Melissa Davis from Melissa Davis from Mississippi. I just think that's all the MS combinations. I love the alliteration of this. She owns a couple of private practices and they go into the PPACs. Oh, so yes. I just helped at one of those, a wonderful team of nurses, PT, OT, speech, even a hospital homebound school teacher there. And that's how I started the practice. And so that was my first time at Flasha that the summer that I met you. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my gosh, that feels like a lifetime ago. I know. I was about to say, I remember because I left my husband with two small children to go away for a few days. And I, I was reading, reading my pastor's book, Blazing Faith. And I remember floating in a pool with a lovely drink, reading a book, <laughs> thinking he's changing so many poopy diapers right now. Bear <laughs> was only like a year old. He wasn't even a year old yet. No, he was a couple years old, but I was just like, oh... I am enjoying this. And I felt slightly guilty, but mm, I digress. But yes, there we are. Oh, that's great. Very cute image of you. That's a great image. Me reading a faith-based book and drinking a, um, a dirty martini probably, but go team. There it is. I love Jesus and I drink. All my disclosure statements have been, have been issued thus far. Okay, oh, Michelle. You <laughs> see, I told you, relax, have fun. This is good stuff. You were invited to speak at Asha on yoga. So how did how did yoga become part of your practice? Because I mean, that to me, I do yoga when I'm feeling ready to make a change, and then I do it for a little while, and then life gets in the way. But that's because I don't keep it a priority. But how did that? Part happen. So I think that that is the practice of yoga is to keep coming back to it, you know, to continue coming back to the center. Yes. And so I, I think it's healthy to acknowledge that you're going to leave the practice and come back. Yes. So I started yoga in graduate school using a yoga video, watching Rodney Yee. I'm like the old school, just yoga <laughs> tape, right? I did too. The Gaiam videos. Do you remember Gaiam? I have Gaiam. what it was. That's absolutely what it was. We probably watched the same DVDs. Yeah. Yep. And so I go, okay, there's something here, you know, yoga connecting the mind to the body and the spirit that I knew was important for me, Mm -hmm. especially during that time. And, you know, as my sister, my sister says, you're just a sensitive soul. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I knew it became apparent to me and to my colleagues and that I was going to, you know, need a practice to bolster me and give me strength for this work. Mm -hmm. And so yoga was that for me. And then when I was working at the hospital, I started attending yoga workshops on weekends and down in Sarasota, which is like an hour, an hour and a half from here, and soon a yoga teacher training. And so thankfully, my colleagues at at Tampa General were so supportive. And we would have little practice yoga classes once a week at lunch, you know, when we when we get lunch. <laughs> I was about to say, you got to eat when you worked at the exactly, hospital? That's a lot. Exactly. <laughs> like I said, they were so supportive and we were mindful to return to it. And so the yoga practice was, as you say, a personal and professional tool. And that became a clinical tool that I started to use once I was tested. So working with infants, toddlers, young little ones on ventilators or using an inline speaking valve or with tracheostomies or trialing cuff deflation. Our team in pediatrics, we have our favorite motivating toys and turn-taking activities. 
right? Mm-hmm. We have blowing bubbles, we have blowing scarves and little wispies toys and we're hockey town here in Tampa. So blowing cotton balls across the table, (laughs) just doing tea parties with empty cups and spoons and with our baby dolls. So we have these activities to distract our little ones and help these babies be, these babies and their families be more comfortable during Mm -hmm. times and transitions. And, but when it came to the older kids and the teens in our PICU, in our PD rehab program, or even like helping the adult acute care team. That's not going to fly. Right. I felt, and I felt at a loss. Yeah. I found these experiences in the, with the older adolescents and the adult ICU somewhat isolating, you know, quite bleak compared to what all the fun we had going on in pediatrics. So, and this Mm. was 2008 to 2009. So over a decade before COVID-19. But that's the way it always is. So clinicians focus on the adult population, don't know how we do it in peds and vice versa. Yeah. But that, but that middle school, high school bridge, that's tough. Yes. It's actually a great population for some of this practice. Yeah. I can see how that's like a supernatural outgrowth. Yes. And one of the kids, like he really liked that some of the football players or the baseball players at, you know, the universities, their teachers make them practice yoga or ballet. (laughs) And he liked that. He's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. I took yoga in undergrad because I needed like another, like, I don't know, liberal arts class or something. And I'll never forget. There was one guy that came in our class and he just needed like this two credit class in order to graduate. That's right. Yeah. And it was, you know, fun and all that. And our professor was old enough to be this kid's grandfather or grandmother. And she got up there and started moving. He was loud and, you know, a know-it-all frat boy. We all know the type, right? (laughs) And she said, okay, Sonny, why don't you go ahead and sit down in the back? And by the end of the class, that kid was sweating and she about broke him. And I remember just sitting there, just watching. And then she calmly got up and made this very fluid move. And she goes, and I wish you all a wonderful day, but you, sir, may need ibuprofen. (laughs) And that was like like the G-rated version of what happened. It was just like, yeah. (laughs) G-rated. It was great. Yes. Oh, God. Put him like in his spiritual and physical place. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And he needed that because it is a very intense to be respected workout. Yes, that's right. And we need the strength to balance our vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah, That we're sharing with the world as clinicians. Yeah. So I guess I started at the beginning instead of at the end beginning, which was Asha. (laughs) But So I started using with my kiddos, some of the pranayama and the breath work exercises from yoga as a tool for rebuilding breath support, reconnecting to sensation, weight bearing, building, you know, rebuilding weight bearing and strength in the upper airway and, and having the activity, even though I didn't call it meditation Mm-hmm. mindfulness to bring some calm and some peace to these transitions. I bet the OTs loved you. Well, and I love the OTs. 
all of right? I've learned from the the occupy the wonderful occupational therapists. Yes. Okay. Ladies, if you're listening and you don't work with an occupational therapist that's really into diaphragm in strengthening core, or if you have a patient that's a shallow, rapid breather and they're breathing from their clavicle, or it's called cl- clavicular breathing, or if they're breathing from their, if they're pulling at their intercostals in order, it's like increased work of breathing, then timing respiration for deglutition is so difficult. Timing respiration for having enough enough voice. I'm salivating. Oh my God. I was drinking a very large glass of peach juice and my kid told me that it was really good and kept begging me for more. And I concur, bear has good taste. But having the the proper support for all of this, I mean, we know this because of LSVT. We we have this research for adults, but Carrie, you just you just tied in all of this and made it clean, dirty, hippie, but functional and joyful. I'm so excited for you. Yay. <laughs> well, going to the literature review, that yes. helped me stop feeling this. I, I felt even though my team at the hospital was always so supportive and I shared uh-huh. at the time some of this practice with the other SLPs at our traumatic brain injury and spinal cord conference that we hosted for the state. So again, everyone's super supportive, but I felt sheepish. I mean, you said it like the hippie dippy SLP, because even though my clinical instinct told me that that work was connected, you know, there just wasn't an evidence base at the time. And so, so we cut to spring and summer of 2020 and we all transitioned our practices to telehealth. My husband and I, transitioned our practices to help telehealth and he works with adolescents and young adults and so his transition was pretty seamless it took me a couple weeks to get up and going and we're both e-learning with our daughters mm. and my colleagues in nursing my colleagues in speech at the hospital in OT and PT I miss them they're on my mind and my heart at the hospital. And it was a heavy, you know, time for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first thing in the morning, all that I had sometimes was one breath. That was the practice. You know, sometimes it's a full practice before everyone's awake, but sometimes it's one child's pose, one downward dog, one breath before we're up and running and but but I realized that this was a tool that had helped me for a lot of years in my practice reconnect to my insight you know reconnect to my compassion to combat burnout and compassion fatigue and I thought this is something you know that could help other clinicians. Yes. But the prospect of sharing it is scary. So yes. yes. And that fall, I taught the course at USF. So it was just a very busy time. And I just, I just knew for all of us, as I said, Mm -hmm. this is a tool that I'm using to get through these times of illness, of isolation. We have social political upheaval. Like this is something that I could share with our colleagues, but the first thing to do was a literature review. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the good news was that 
with literature review, there's a lot more information out there now. Okay. So what did you find in the literature review? Do you have some of the articles handy or do you have? I do. Yes, I do. So Kachara et al. So there are a few that pertain just to yoga helping treat depression, combat burnout in women and healthcare providers at large. And there are two studies that are specifically applicable to, to SLPs. So okay. Kachara et al. looked at 11 articles. They, they did the lit review first. And seven studies were clinical trials that outlined yoga interventions and looked at healthcare providers' sleep quality, stress level, and quality of life. So they found that a yoga practice in nurses who followed a six-month program and another study in medical students returned improved self-regulation and compassion values. Oh, nice. Yes. And then four four of the studies were more observational and talked about how healthcare work, workers in stressful environments need yoga's documented physical, emotional, and mental health benefits, which we know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here. I kind of feel like that's the, the statement for Captain Obvious. Yes, yes. yes you know that. Right. Yes. And then Shohani et al. had a sample size of 52 women. So now we're moving here. In a regular 50 to 60 minute Hatha yoga practice, three sessions a week over four weeks, sounds great, showed that measures of depression, anxiety, and stress decreased significantly. Mm -hmm. Depression, anxiety, severity scale. The four-week session sounds great. And yoga was recommended as a complementary practice to more traditional medical management. And, I, and that is how we can use yoga in our practice in our clinical practice. Hmm. I'm just sitting here thinking how I can link yeah. to our practice. I know. And I've got, sorry, in my head, I'm, I was too busy processing in my head. Let me translate what I'm thinking right now. On Wednesdays at one o'clock, I have this very sweet AAC small group. Oh. And so it's myself, one OT, one CODA, and she's an OT graduate student. And each one of them have a patient. And then there's myself and my patient. And, you know, normally I have a graduate student with me as well. I'm so sorry. Dog is making bad choices behind me and making loud noises. Please excuse dog. And we go through, we do some child-led activities. And then we also do some grounding regulation activities. And Every child in the room, full disclosure, has a diagnosis of ASD. Now, some of the children have, uh, I mean, they're autistic children, but some of them have other conditions and etiologies like neonatal abstinence syndrome, genetic conditions. So there's, it's a dynamic, powerful group of four to six-year-olds that are all the same size. And oh my God, I love it the room has just like so much energy, but also every kid in the group has their own AAC device. And so we just kind of like roll through with our little, we're, we're modeling and like, you know, core vocab and blah, blah, blah. But I'm just thinking that it, we've never embedded yoga into that group. 
And like we do grounding obstacle courses for like to the rhythm. Like we actually play the chakras music, like the rhythmic chakras and like drum chakras to like music to like set the pace and the tempo. And like instead of everybody coming in, okay, y'all, you know, when you walk into a room and the energy in the room is so fast, it kind of hits you and you're just like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. We'll turn the music such that it's slow and steady. And then you feel it literally lower and we'll have, we'll set up tunnels and we'll set up these obstacle courses that bring us physically to the ground. Cause Irene Ingram, the clinic coordinator, clinic director, she, she's an OT, but she talks about how we have to get back to our core. We have to get back to our nature and I'm picking up her rhythm when I'm talking, but like it immediately changes your pace and your cadence. And why could I not see that? You were, Carrie, the good Lord knew it. You would love, I'm going to share with you, there's a rain story. There's a rain and a weather story that's okay. like a yoga and movement story. That what? I want to share Where is the When you talk about the pace, because, and you know, your kids could call out, there's this wonderful page of weather words. You could have, the kids call out. Yeah. <laughs> you use lamp. I'm sorry. If you know the page of weather words, you use lamp. <laughs> <laughs> and the soft raindrops and the, you know, and then the rain goes faster, but then it calms down, you know, and by the end of the story, it's so wonderful. You have the kids, as you say, on the ground and they're the puddle. Okay, what 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 app are you on? What are you doing here? So wonderful. I'm going to share it with you. It is not mine. It's from a training I did a long time ago, and I just love this story. So I will share with you. And then also they they will have so much fun calling out an animal. And, you know, maybe some of the animals will relate to a <laughs> yoga pose. And there's no wrong answer, you know, that open-ended choice making. So they call out an animal, they're in charge, and that's what the group does. So maybe some of the animals relate to an existing yoga pose, but some of them will just make it make it up during the session. But it sounds like an awesome group. One of the little boys, Red Brown Bear Brown Bear, read it via his AAC device, and it was like the greatest thing ever. And he has he does this thing with his hands where when he gets very excited, he rolls them over one another, and it makes me think of Chester Raccoon from The Kissing Hand. And it's just, I can just see that little guy in my head right now rolling his hands and and us doing the, I know, I know brown bear and a red bird are going to pop up in this yoga activity. Okay. All right. Continue. I'm so sorry. This is so, God, I'm so glad you are on. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for your patience with my pace of sharing here. No, this is perfect. You're building your story. This is good. <sighs> Another piece of literature. So this brings us into the world of communication sciences and disorders and SLP graduate students and undergraduates. So this work is by Beck and colleagues. They brought undergraduates and CSD and graduate students in speech into one experimental group and one control group. And the experimental group participated in a 20-minute mindfulness practice weekly through a semester. I loved this part. An interesting note from the article was that 
the students wanted, they enjoyed the 20 minute mindfulness practice more than a 60 minute yoga class. <laughs> because they, because of their scheduling, there was less conflict with their schedules and their time to study and prepare for clinic, which sounds mm-hmm. pretty much like us. <laughs> I was going to say, that's type A. We're good. Yes, we're going to do 20 minutes mindfulness. So the self-report measures were a perceived stress scale, a self-compassion scale, perceived stress scale, self-compassion scale, and the almost perfect scale. Almost perfect scale. Oh my God, that's a thing. Okay. Yes. So the experimental group reported decreased perfectionism, decreased perceived stress, and improved self-compassion. So... We all know graduate students, and we were graduate students ourselves that needed all of those things, you know, that would have been served by all of those. So also biological stress markers such as heart rate, breath rate, measures of hyper-responsivity in the vasovagal and auto- autonomic nervous systems. Beck and colleague also shared themes from the participants' journals. So among the themes were self-kindness versus self-judgment, common humanity versus isolation, and mindfulness versus over-identification, all of which can prevent enmeshment with our patients Mm -hmm. and reduce our compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. So Beck and colleagues cited, this is a quote, People who have higher level levels of self-compassion are more apt to show greater empathy to those who are suffering. So we all want to develop self-compassion, but sometimes as caregivers, we are so reticent to turn inward, to care for ourselves. But by the rationale of this work, if we don't do it for ourselves, let's at least do it for graduate students. Let's do it for the future of our profession. I feel like that boils down to we don't extend grace to ourselves. Yes. But then again, that makes me feel like I'm pouring from an empty cup. The oxygen face mask analogy. Right. If you're on the airplane, you put your mask on first and then you put on your child's mask and then they tell you, don't panic. You can't see the oxygen flowing, but it's filling the bag bogus. I'm just saying, why is the bag not filling up? Because if you can't see it inflating, are we actually positive? And then my next thought is, I mean, you're going to fall out of the sky anyway. So like, are we really that worried about like the tiny little bag inflating? But I go deep, dark, scary places quickly because of my level of anxiety. But I do appreciate the analogy that... Carrie, this is why I need yoga in my life. This, we put our oxygen mask on first, but you cannot take care of another if you are scattershot yourself. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. So to return, so even, you know, I think that the practice of yoga would say even that deep, dark, scary place Mm -hmm. that there's still a light within, even if it feels kind of small in the darkness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we can breathe to that light, you know, and reconnect and and take care of ourselves. And it and it is in it can manifest physically, you know, in our bodies with like the rounding of the shoulders and kind of the weight, like always moving toward helping someone. But instead we can lift the shoulders, you know, toward the ears and then relax the shoulders back to the back body, Mm -hmm. feel strength just above the belly button. You know, we can physically 
manifest more support and light in our bodies to, like you said, take care of ourselves before we move forward Mm. to help the world. And And I'll see like if I adjust my posture or take a deep breath and before I respond to a child's behavior, then I give the parents permission to do that and space to mm-hmm. do that in our session. And the best is when a child who I know is overwhelmed takes a deep breath with me, and a little one. And I go, wow, okay, we're doing some work here. <laughs> yeah. The OTs I work with do a lot of, they call it body work. Yes. And within the world of body work, they'll also do, I don't know how to describe it, but you can see them peeling away layers of trauma from the children, metaphorically speaking. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, that's another piece of work. Have you already talked about on the podcast, the work of the body keeps score? Oh my God. Oh my God, do we? I literally have that sitting at my feet on my right side. Oh my God, Aaron and I love The Body Keeps the Score. We had Dylan. Y'all, it is a horrible read. I mean, it's a great read. Everybody's like, Michelle, you're a good saleswoman here. But it's all about all of these traumas. And I actually made my graduate students read that for two semesters in a row because it was two different cohorts. Oh my God. And they were like, they were like, Ms. Dawson, that book is really messed up. And I'm like, well, then you haven't finished it. So go finish it because you you need to. But spoiler alert, if you have endured, and I know the upstairs door is open so my children can hear our conversation. So I'm going to gloss over the big, bad, and the ugly. But if you have personally endured the big, the bad, the ugly, and various forms of trauma, it is a hard read. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a hard read. But the whole premise is that the traumas that we endure not only get marked on us physically, but we also carry them internally and it manifests just like you were saying with like shoulder rounding and slouching and God, there's so many other different ways that it manifests, but yes. but it's such a good book po- and ties into polyvagal theory and yeah. Well, and I know you talked about the adverse childhood events on the podcast. Yeah. Megan Branham. Yes. But like you said, the good news is like that yoga is a tool yeah. that we can use, you know, and now, you know, more of us are aware and talking about how trauma affects our population and also how trauma affects the trauma of, of the work, even in our objectivity can affect the healthcare provider. I think our society has become more aware of that. It's a process. It's a story, <laughs> but has become more aware of that since COVID. Mm-hmm. So the work of Angela Medina and Jean Mead. So they are in South Florida and this was the most current since it was okay. published in 2021. And okay. so grateful to them for their work because they're the ones like you, you started to connect this to our practice with the patients. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones for me, like the body keeps score that it talks about like how yoga is a tool, but in our practice, but mm-hmm. Medina and Mead define mindfulness as paying attention to the present moment without judgment. And mm. that decreased rumination about the past, but less anxiety about the future 
and led to greater peace and calm. And they cited uh, work with patients who were one year post a mild to, to moderate TBI and participated mm-hmm. in a 12-week mindfulness program, returned improved quality of life measures and decreased depression. And they talked about another study by Murray and Ray who found that when the emotional experiences of aphasia, such as anxiety, frustration, are managed through mindfulness practice between other language treatments, the cognitive resources were freed up for more efficient language use. And so that's what we were talking about with your kiddos. You know, when we have some movement activity, then we've made space in their bodies and the the neurological mind-body connection to take in the other therapies that we're doing with them. And the most significant body of work is the use of mindfulness as a complement to fluency treatments. So, and in this, in Medina and Mean highlighted the parallels between the goals of fluency treatment and mindfulness practice. So this helped me. So behavioral exposure practice in a controlled or structured environment, improved emotional regulation. These are links between fluency therapy and yoga. Mm-hmm. Changes in perception, increased sensory and proprioceptive processing, attention control, and breath awareness. So this work can help us draw parallels, like you were saying, Michelle, to other areas of our practice. Mm-hmm. So voice intervention, we know the yawn sigh and blowing air gently without voicing and then with voicing, the use of biofeedback and voice therapy. Yet here, yet we know that the evidence base needs to be developed. But this really helped me draw parallels to our practice in other areas in PD. Yes. Yes. So so back to my experience with my clients with the one-way speaking valves that are also complements. You know, what tenets of our therapy, what objectives are we focusing on in therapy that are also components of yoga and mindfulness. And so this is just one tool that we can use in our practice. And I also think about like improving mindfulness outcomes for for caregivers, caregivers mm-hmm. of our children with fluency disorders, adults with aphasia or dementia. And what about siblings? I'm thinking a lot about siblings, parents of children with feeding disorders or caregivers. These caregivers navigating the neonatal intensive care unit, the PICU. They're living off of adrenaline. Right. Sorry. I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah, I remember being told you need to slow down or you're going to burn your thyroid out. Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, I was literally told that by a colleague, slow down or you're going to burn your thyroid out. And I, I, I remember thinking, if I don't do all of this and if I don't fix all of this in this moment in time, who else is going to do it? And the feedback was, honey, it's just a job. This was a couple years ago. But yeah, that's a very raw sh- overshare moment. I love yoga. <laughs> I'm going to start doing it again with my morning Bible study. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's just a morning spiritual practice. It doesn't have to be yoga. But to return to that slower pace within. Okay. Can I say this and not everybody completely panic, but like, doesn't some part of you on some cellular level miss the slower pace of the world when everything's (laughs) shut down? Like, 
Yes. It's back. I feel like there was this very sweet, maybe naive two-week time where I was like, I'm actually really kind of enjoying everything being on hiatus and running 400 different places. You know what I mean? And now the world feels like it's back on fire with the rhythm and the rate. Right. And we say that from, yes, a place of privilege that we we had that space yes. to slow yes. down and reflect. Yes. Oh, I am aware that it's from a place of, yes, yeah. absolutely. True. And I do. We're back to this busy summer. <laughs> yeah, of 100 miles an hour. And part of me just wants to know, what about the opportunity to breathe again from, yep. Yes. So that's why... Yeah, that's why we're talking about this practice because there's always that opportunity. We can always return to that. Mm -hmm. You would love Carrie Comer. Do you know Carrie Comer? I don't. Oh my God. Talking to you is like talking to her. Her and Jesse Andrix. Jesse Andrix is wonderful. Do you know Jesse Andrix? No, I wish I did. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Jesse Andrix does, oh my God. Why can I not think of the name of her podcast? I need to connect the two of you. Um, Jesse Andrix. She's an SLP and it's going to come. I'm going to find her on the Google. And Carrie Comer is global SLP and she does accent modification, but she has a lot of this type of practice involved within her work. It's Carrie, Carrie Comer Lim. Lynn, she's married now. And Jesse Andrix's SLP Stress Management and her podcast. I need to introduce oh. you to all of them because the three of y'all would get along with peanut butter and jelly as long as you're not allergic to peanut butter. <laughs> so like, go team. Uh, sorry. Okay, continue. You know, in the pediatric feeding world, we'll, we'll be sunflower butter and jelly. Yes. <laughs> yes, there it is. Sunflower butter. Yes, ma'am. Which is actually really good, by the way. There is a non-dairy sunflower butter peanut butter cup that Trader Joe's makes that is like on point. <laughs> Okay, continue. Sorry, ma'am. I don't, I think that that's it, Michelle. I, I have a yeah. practice to share still. I have like some of the practice. Perfect. I want to do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what other, I feel like I just kind of, I was so nervous. So I just kind of. Oh my God, you did. Honey, this was amazing. You created the foundation for this. So I want to put it in practice. So pretend Pretend I am your patient and what would we do? Okay, so I can speak to you as my patient. So maybe, so this is maybe not what I would do with a, a little one. Okay. Maybe like an older school age kid or an adolescent working on executive functioning skills or yeah. another colleague. Perfect. I can impromptu grab a goose and a bear if you want me to pull them down too. Do you want me to pull them in too? You know what? They would be great another time if on like a video or something that we could do some of the some of the stories. Yes. I sign my children up. Bear wants to make a bear.com and sell his origami. So he would be totally down for doing that. Oh, money <laughs> is a mindfulness practice too. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so. In person at ASHA, we had a yoga practice, which the feedback was it was a great way to start the day that Friday morning. Awesome. And then this summer, next month at Flasha, um, I have not been since well before COVID. Next month at Flasha, 
I'm leading a practice at the end of Flasha on Sunday, Okay, which should be helpful. So let's start with just a little bit of seated asana practice, which these are the poses that can be used to prepare us for breathing or meditation or mindfulness practice. Okay. I'm totally going to record myself for the social media. So heads up, we're multitasking. (laughs) Okay. What do I do, love? So root the sit bones down. So root the sit bones down on your chair, Mm -hmm. your mat. Place the feet on the floor. Lift the crown of the head. Notice how your body feels in this moment. Mm. Invite a full breath in. Breathe out. Consider leading your next movement with the breath. So start with a full breath in and lift the shoulders toward the ears. Breathe out and move your shoulders toward your back body. Breathe in and feel the space below your chest, above your belly button. Pull the space in and back to strengthen your low belly, your diaphragm, your low back. Take a full breath here, noticing how your body feels in this moment without judgment. Now we'll move to cat-cow. Although we love cat-cow and prone on a mat, (laughs) we have similar benefits with a modified cat-cow in a seated position. So we lift the chest forward, keeping the shoulder blades back. Gently move the head to look up. Pull the low belly in and back. Round the shoulders, arch the spine like a Halloween cat, and lower the chin to the chest. Again, lead with the breath. Inhale, lift the head, gently look up. Lead from the heart, the bottom of the heart, to move your chest forward and your shoulders back. Exhale, round the shoulders, arch the spine for cat. Gently lower your chin to your chest. Continue once more like this. Inhale, lift to cow. Look up, heart forward. Exhale, round to cat. Again, moving from a place of strength in the low belly, round down. Okay, inhale, come up to seated. So this is a pose that we could practice at our desk. I'm dizzy. Okay, that's an important point. I don't know the last time I breathed that deep. Wow. So choose a spot, Michelle. Wow. That was so, (laughs) I know. I'm so embarrassed. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, but that's an important point because that was a a lot of movement for our spine. Yeah. And for the head and the neck. And so let's just pick a point ahead on the floor or on the wall and extend the crown of the head to the ceiling and just take one deep grounding breath. Okay, are you comfortable to do a side stretch? I mean, I'm feeling so peaceful right now. I could go ever whichever way you want me to. Wonderful. Okay, so we know from our neurodevelopmental principles that our OT and PT colleagues have taught us that we want to move from a place of trunk strength and stability. Yes. And, but that we want to help our clients move in the lateral range of movement in the trunk because lateral range of movement can help lingual lateral range of movement and that builds upon one builds upon the other Mm -hmm. so 
from a place. So again, we honor that place of strength and stability in the trunk in our patients. And so we're going to move now from that place and again, root the sit bones down to the chair, Mm -hmm. inhale the crown of the head up, draw the low belly in and back and breathe out. Okay. Inhale, lift the left arm and exhale, bend to the right. So your right hand can be down on the side of the chair. I went into ballet pose with my other hand. I like naturally curved in front of me. Naturally in front of you. Okay, so let's see. So let's draw the shoulder blade back onto the back body and then gently bend to the right. Take one full breath here. Exhale and inhale, come up to center and put the left hand down. Okay, one breath in the center here. Exhale. On the next inhale, lift the right arm up above your head. Exhale, bend to the left. So we can ground, as we bend to the left, we can ground the right hip down. And you will feel a stretch, more of a stretch through the side body. That's a huge difference, yes. So inhale, let's come to the center. And let's continue in that manner. So inhale, left arm up, gently bend to the right. Exhale to center, arms down. Inhale, right arm up. Exhale to the left. Just continue in that pattern, inhaling and exhaling, just swaying side to side. Okay, and when that pose... Sorry, that was not me. That was my son upstairs clearing his throat. (laughs) Is everybody okay? Oh, yeah. No, they're fine. I just, you know, doors open because mom life. (laughs) I wish when my girls were small, I had, I wish I had a picture because I remember this moment of the yoga mat stretched out in a living room full of toys. (laughs) Yes. And so this is the practice. (laughs) Yes. This is the practice, as we said, like returning to it in chaos. <laughs> yeah, that's um that's that's life 101 around here with a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old boy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's take the arms up overhead, both arms up overhead, and place the hands, the palms on the back of the head. Okay. So we SLPs know this as the occiput, but I'll say to the clients. Place your hands on the back of your head where the back of your head touches the top of your neck. Okay. Okay. And we want to gently press the back of the head into the hands and return by pressing the hands into the back of the head. Mm, That feels great. Yes, it should. (laughs) And so take three full breaths here. Again, it's a gentle, balanced press the back of the head into the hands and the hands into the back of the head. Okay. One of my patients called that the airplane pose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like really self-conscious of the fact that I have a booger in my left nostril and that everybody can hear me breathing around the booger in my left nostril. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh my goodness. Let's see. Once again, lift the hands up overhead. So since we can't really do a sun salutation today, we lift the hands up over the head with an inhale. Exhale, hands to the heart. One more. Inhale, lift the hands up over the head. Exhale, hands to the heart. Okay. 
Now we inhale, lift the hands up once more overhead. Exhale, we're gonna twist to the left, bring the right arm forward and the left arm back. Wait, say that slowly. So with the hands up overhead, palms facing each other. Okay. And draw your shoulders up toward your ears, scapula back onto the back body. Mm -hmm. Full breath in here. We're going to turn gently, turn the torso gently to the left. Mm -hmm. Move your right arm forward and your left arm back behind you. Got it. Okay. And from, again, from a place of stability in the trunk at the base of the heart, we take a full breath in and then we breathe out and extend the arms from the shoulders to the wrists out through the fingertips. So we start energetically from the center and extend out. Inhale, lift the hands above the head and move to the midline, to the center. And exhale, we're gonna gently turn to the right. The left arm goes forward and the right arm moves back. So this will help us get some mobility in the spine and move some energy through the spine when we're working on telepractice, in between clients, Inhale, lift the arms, move to the center, and just gently turn to the left, right arm forward, left arm back. Again, lead with the breath. Inhale to the center, turn to the right, right arm back, left arm forward. Inhale to center, palms together, lower the palms to your heart. I feel so much better. You do. (laughs) Oh my God. I know we're over, but I could keep doing that for like from ever. And you have like the most calming presence ever. So do you want to do some of the pranayama or mindfulness or are we just totally over? (laughs) We're like totally over, but that's okay. That means that we just have to come back and do a part two episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like for real right now. So can we come back and like talk about how you put this into action with PFD and AAC for part two. And then I'll be so nervous again. Oh my God, Carrie, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Okay. Everybody that just sat there in your car or on a treadmill and did the yoga with you and like stopped what they were doing to listen to you narrate them is like, yes, please, Michelle. So we're going to do that. You'll have to come back and we have to do one about yoga in with PFD and AAC. And then I want to do the breathing ones next when I don't have a booger lodged in my left nostril. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my God. That's great. Okay. I have to ask, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want people to take away with? So yoga, famously not an auditory only practice. (laughs) Yeah, I have a killer video of me doing this that I'm totally going to post. And yeah, (laughs) yes. Certainly the pranayama Mm -hmm. practice and the mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. So I would love to share that with the other, with the SLPs in terms of like from a frame of professional self-care. Yes, yes. Okay, so that's what we'll do. We're coming back for another one. And you have to say yes, Carrie. Okay. If somebody wants to call you and ask you more questions, how do they reach you, Carrie? What what website? How do they reach out? 
Well, my website is carryrigbergspeech.com. And it's beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, uh, colleagues can email me at carryrigbergspeech at gmail.com. And I'll be giving this talk with the pranayama and the mindfulness meditation practice at Flasha next month. Excellent. In St. Petersburg in July. Beautiful. Okay. All right. So folks, please go check out Carrie's website. And Carrie, this was awesome. Like my shoulders feel better. I'm going to have to send you the video and you're totally going to enjoy my double angled chin that's going on in the video. I probably should have like moved that slightly, but like Kesara. <laughs> Everybody that's listening, thank you so much for joining us today. Per usual, you can check us out on First Bite Podcast Instagram and First Bite Podcast on Facebook. For those of you that are not on social media, we have uh, I have a website, michelledawsonslp.com. And we always love it when you hop on Apple Podcast and give us a five-star review. But most importantly, take care of yourself. If we got nothing out there today, more than the power of a pause and taking in that deep breath, God, I even feel like my rhythm and my cadence has changed since we started this episode. But I love that. Yeah. Then <laughs> take a pause and take a breath and just put Carrie's little breathing segment at the end on repeat on your cell phone. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Babies.